Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Elixir Roundtable. I'm your host, Brooklyn Myers, and today I am joined by Mike Bins and Matthew Stebbins. Uh, it has been a bit of a quiet week for us, uh, so just the three of us today, and it felt relevant to me as a result to speak a bit about energy, maintaining energy levels while programming, uh, maintaining interest in what you're doing. Uh, one of the struggles I've been having lately that I would love to get some uh, ideas and feedback on from both of you is uh, we have been doing the first official cohort of Dockyard Academy for a month and almost a month and a half now. And I've started to see some students start to uh, wear out a bit. They've been working really hard. The course is incredibly demanding. And I've started to notice energy levels begin to drip. And so uh, this isn't unique to the school experience. Uh, this is something that I think we all experience in our jobs, um, in our social lives, with our families. Um, you know, having low energy levels is a common experience, especially when you're doing something fairly intense. So I'd love to hear about um, both of your experience with, experiences with that and if you have any ideas on how to address that within the team. Yeah, I can. Uh, so for me, um, my, my position on projects here at Dockyard, I'm I'm uh, bouncing around between a number of different projects, uh, but even with that, um, what I find where I where where I kind of get into that, um, you know, low energy kind of just not 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 super motivated about stuff uh, is generally when I've been doing the the same thing, just kind of, you know, I guess to say the the fix for me is to change things up, right? Like to get some, something new going on. Uh, you know, for me, I was start, starting to get into towards that, that sort of a, a place. And then, um, Phoenix one seven came out, uh, last week or a couple of weeks ago. And that's something I've been watching. And so for, um, both of the projects that I'm on, uh, I jumped in and, and got to lead the, the, the upgrade, uh, for both of those. And so that was something that was exciting for me, something new, and uh, this week, so this week for me has been a uh, much, much more uh, energetic and, and kind of a uh, motivated uh, week because I got to change, change things up, you know. So I think for me, that's the, that'd be the key, the, the key. If, if things are starting to get, um, starting to just kind of like drag on and you're not feeling that, that um, uh, see, see what it is that you can change up, you know. Uh, see if there's something you can you can adjust, um, and obviously, in, in as far as your your professional life, that's not necessarily always something you can do. I'm you know I'm lucky to be able to kind of bounce around with that sort of stuff, but if that's not something that you can do in your professional life, then maybe that's something you need to do, uh, you know, outside of that. Um, if that's a fun coding project or whatever, or even just you know if whatever your thing is. Um, change things up, I guess would be to the, the, the TLDR on that. Yeah, I can, um, I can see how sometimes it, it starts to feel like you're chewing dirt when you do the same thing, uh, day in, day out. Um, even something you adore and love, you know, like I've gotten, uh, fed up with 
um, certain projects or, or things that I was doing uh, that I absolutely adore and, and, you know, think are fantastic. And sometimes taking a bit of a break um, has helped. Um, sometimes you don't always have the luxury of a break. Uh, so I like the idea of just changing things up and getting a bit of variety. Like uh, today, for example, um, the intent for today's class um, was to cover uh, the beginning of Phoenix. So we're going to show them how to scaffold a Phoenix application. There were a few drills related to Phoenix to just get them comfortable with the um, basics of Phoenix, but felt like everyone's energy level was very low this week. I could see them starting to drain and I didn't just want to throw more at them. So decided to change the plan, have them start brainstorming their capstone project. Idea was thinking about something that would be interesting to them uh, and just planning out this exciting new project would hopefully help their energy levels pick up a bit. Um, so taking a break, changing things, um, definitely, well, hopefully going to help. We'll see. <laughs> Maybe I'll have to report back on the next uh, round table and let folks know whether or not it is uh, working. Uh, one of the other things I'm, I'm starting to see very related to the energy levels is discouragement, right? So like I mentioned, we, we have students who uh, have come, on, come in with really strong backgrounds. We have other students who are doing it brand new. And I think it is unfortunately human to compare ourselves to others, right? And so you start to get discouragement when students start to feel like they are um, behind the relative pace of the class. And so that's one thing I've been trying to figure out how to address in people is how do I keep them engaged, motivated, self-confident while they're experiencing this. Um, so I'm curious what you two think about that. Coming from a non-engineering background, but doing marketing and ad tech, martech, and like the consultancy space my whole career. Um, you know, I found that, you know, the, the relationship between like selling the consultancy services and, you know, you all actually signing our paychecks to say the least. Um, I know for me, it is day in, day out, kind of like making the donuts, because uh, like in marketing, it changes rapidly, but like the work is all kind of like still the same. So while in engineering, like it might be the same, like repetitive task, it's like a different product or different like team or new dynamics because we do rotations and such. But like for my department, and the people I manage, like not much changes. So I have to kind of look in the mirror and um, I found something that like really helps me is like change where I work or how I work. Um, and definitely like learn from others experience um, to keep my energy level. Uh, even though like I'm a, a extrovert and I like to joke and have fun. Um, and I believe you can do all three, you know, make money, work hard, but still have fun. And some people might not agree with that, but in marketing, you kind of have to, because there's so many new laws, regulations. Uh, this is bad. This is, this campaign isn't working, whatever. And um, I'm not like 
directly teaching students like you, Brooklyn, and trying to keep the energy level up. But, you know, we still experience it as extroverts in, in marketing of, of not wanting to get out of bed or get out of bed proverbially, obviously, you know, you get out of bed, but, uh, you know, kind of, kind of logging in and doing the, doing the deal as they say. But, um, I think, I think when it comes to learning something new, like I always as an individual have a unquenchable thirst for learning something new. Like that's why I joined Dockyard Academy and working at it at my own pace, uh, even though like I'm not in your class, like um, if you're not learning, you're dying, especially in marketing. Um, you know, you can pick one discipline in engineering or software development and pick a niche, 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 and, and, and go with that for 10, 15 years until it dies, right? Like an ember or something like that. So, uh, but like marketing kind of as a whole, um, you need to like keep up with the trends and, and kind of all these new laws that are coming. So there's not going to be a lack of abundance or shortage or scarcity of learning new things. So like, if you don't want to learn that, in my opinion and personal experience, then, um, maybe this type of business like, isn't, isn't for you. Uh, cause like, that's what should be your energy your battery for energy to not only level up your career, but kind of you as a person and a human is to kind of learn, learn something new, um, personally. Mm -hmm. It's definitely a career path that has lots of growth and change. And, um, for many people, that's, what's fun about it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I find that people in our industry tend to be the type of people who, don't like when things get stale, right? They're the type of people who want change, who want to learn, who want, um, you know, want the previous month to not look like this month. Um, and so that does for me, uh, help, right. As their industry is very dynamic. Um, now some people burn out of that, right. Some people don't enjoy that and that's totally okay, but that is part of what helps keeps things, uh, fresh with it. Mm -hmm. Um, I think what, what can definitely cause the kind of burnout and, uh, too much stress though, is the overwork. Um, I think it's very easy in an industry like this to work too hard, um, and kind of sacrifice your long-term for the short term. Um, just having too many things on your plate. I mean, everyone here has experienced the, uh, busyness that comes with their work, I'm sure. Um, so sometimes things kind of pile up. Um, and yeah, how do you, man, how do you deal with that? Uh, when it's not that there's not enough change or that you're not growing or learning, it's just that there's too much. Um, and you know, it's, uh, uh, you're just, you're, you, you lose energy and it kind of drains you over time. And then you get to a point where, you know, you're too tired to do things effectively. I think Mike's the, Mike's the old vet on that. He, he works with, you know, a full family, a firefighter and bounces around. So we'll let him take, take the mic on that one. Um, yeah, that's, um, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I do have a, um, as you mentioned, a 
pretty packed uh, life, not only in work, <laughs> but, but outside. Um, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure um, what, why, like, so that, that sort of stuff doesn't, I, I enjoy being busy. Like, a, it's just something that, I, like, a, it being busy all day long doesn't, like, doesn't drain me, I guess, in the, and so maybe that's just the chemical, biological, random thing that's different about me. Um, so unfortunately there's not, a, I can't, I don't, there's no magic there, um, that I can, I can, uh, share, but yeah, um, I, uh, I, I enjoy, I enjoy getting things done. I enjoy, you know, progressing in whatever other things that I'm doing. So it's, so, um, yeah, so a, a full day of bouncing around between three or four different projects and jumping into pull request reviews and then jumping in and pairing on a different project and then looking at Slack for an issue someone's having for a third project, like bouncing out that, that sort of stuff. It just, it doesn't, it, you know, it, it doesn't phase me, which again, yeah. So I, I but I, I don't have a, a technique on that. I do, um, for me, when I, what I realize when I do get stressed or where, so if there's something that I don't have a clear, um, vision for how what what i'm supposed to be doing or how how it's going to be successful um i will those are the things that i'll start procrastinating on and then as if enough of those things start building up then i then i start like that the fact that there's these things that i that need to get done that i don't have a good clear understanding of how of where to go with them that that will will um will stress me out and hmm. uh, some, but sometimes it's it's actually just even i realize um, I, I, I forget it and then I remember it again, but having a lot of stuff to do, um, simply having all that kind of out there and not knowing that you have a bunch of different things going on, but not having a clear view of the actual things you need to do, um, is another time that I start spinning and getting, you know, uh, not, not, not being able to focus and not be able to be productive. And for me, it's as simple. It's often as simple as I've got a Trello board um for for me for my stuff for my personal stuff for my stuff at, at, at dockyard that i have to do and i just if i jump in and i get it all written down and i can see it i'm a visual person if i can see these are the things that need to get done i can i can work through it prioritize and start knocking stuff off and being able to drag stuff off that list is is motivating for me um so that's that's that is that's how i uh handle that sort of uh overwhelming so, when things do get overwhelming like it kind of ties into mental toughness resilience and then that equals uh like mental preparedness and it kind of works you know linearly like through through each of them right hmm. yeah 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 they're, they're, yeah being able to yeah having having those three together is is uh helpful which i like i said i don't always have so when i don't that's when things start falling apart and it's like well what what's actually going on you know is it you know sometimes it is i've just got a bunch of stuff to, to do and I, I i just need to organize it and sometimes you know sometimes it is like you know if, um with the fire department i'll have it's a call department so if i'm if i'm out from you know 11 p.m to 3 you know 4 a.m for a fire call it may actually be that i'm just not not able to work as well the next day because i don't have that 
um, you know, energy or, or mental capacity. Um, and that just means when that happens, it means shifting, right? So like maybe shift my hours to later in the day, get a, get a good, good morning sleep and, and, uh, come back ready to, ready to work, work the, the eight hours later in the day. Um, and so just kind of, but I think self-awareness of what, what's going on is, is huge. Le- learning yourself, understanding yourself and understanding the things like, you know, like I said, like the pitfalls, like I, I, I run into, I'm like, I, I, I it, it takes a while. And I'm like, I'm just not, I'm not in a good space and I don't understand why. And then it's like, oh yeah, I've got a bunch of things that I need to do. They're all small. A lot of them are small things and I can knock them off easily, but it's just, they're all out there. And as soon as I say, okay, write them down and then just start working through them. It just like that, that weight lifts off. Um, so it's funny. I have the same experience with, um, ambiguity having ambiguous workload is really stressful because mm. at every yeah. moment you feel yeah. like, Oh God, there's something I'm supposed to be doing. What is it? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Right. Exactly. And, um, I have that feeling constantly, honestly, because at any given point in time, there is something extra I could be doing. Um, there's probably like a small number of things I actually really have to get done a larger number of things I want to get done and a larger number of things that I think I should get done. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that level of ambiguity becomes tough. So, uh, doing a bit of sitting down, uh, brainstorming exactly what it is. I think that's part of why my students might be struggling now that I think about it is one of the ways we address the skill gap in the course, right? Is I want my top students to be engaged. Uh, and I want the struggling students to, well, not struggle. I want them to get the learning requirements out of it and hit the outcomes that have to be hit. And to accomplish that, what I do is I have a lot of extra work, right? So there's kind of, here's the core exercise that we're doing today, exercise or exercises. And then here's three or four bonuses that you don't have to do. And I've noticed that has created, even in some of my really exceptional students, um, a feeling of being behind because, well, there's like five exercises I haven't done. I was like, but they were bonuses. Yeah, but it doesn't feel that way. It feels like I just haven't done them. Um, so I wonder if we're shooting ourselves in the foot a little bit with that approach. Now everything has pros and cons. So it might just be a con that we need to address without changing the fundamental structure of the course, because I do find that the bonus system works really well for making sure that the, um, that every student is engaged, but, uh, I can see that it would have an emotionally draining impact. Um, if you're a, particularly if you're the completionist type that wants to do a hundred percent of everything. Um, so that's really good insight. I appreciate that. Is there a lot of ambiguity with the programming nature of Elixir though? Like, isn't it pretty like clearly defined or is it, I mean, I know it's not like JavaScript where there's like crazy outliers and all that, but kind of as a Elixir newbie, like, is there a lot of fear that comes with learning it? You know what I mean? Like, like, like there's not like, well, in this case that might happen 1% of the time you need to learn it because it might happen 1% of the time. Now there's, a lot of ambiguity in, in marketing and digital marketing. Like it's an art and a science. Like you could put, you know, $10,000 into the market. And if the creative sucks, you're going to blow $10,000. Like 
But if your targeting sucks and your creative is good, like you're still going to blow $10,000. So there's a lot of fear that comes with that and ambiguity of like, everyone wants to just kind of like <laughs> point the finger uh, at each department, but thank, thank the universe that our department is, you know, small. So we don't like have a creative agency. We don't have like a, uh, an ad ops person. We don't have like all these people that kind of in my past life, like just, you know, pass the buck, but back to the question, is there a lot of ambiguity in learning, you know, Elixir as a new language? Really cool question. So I'd say that the fundamentals are very straightforward. Um, It's an easy language to pick up relative to some other languages that have more weird stuff and edge cases. And it's a fairly consistent language. Like it does feel very well thought out when you're experiencing things. Every once in a while, there's something out there where like, oh, like that's kind of a weird edge case. I didn't think about that. But um, for the most part, it's, it's really highly consistent. Um, there's some struggles with using things in different contexts, right? So pattern matching is probably the biggest struggle. Um, yeah, that you lesson know, is interesting. I was looking at that. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Cause pattern matching, you need to learn two things. You need to learn how do I pattern match on a variety of data structures, right? So mm-hmm. that requires a really deep understanding of like, what is a map? What is a keyword list? What is a list? Why do I have this head and tail thing when I pattern match on a list? Like there's a lot of kind of weird cases in, it's not weird once you understand the data structures, but it requires a deeper amount of knowledge than you might think. Um, I was very surprised because pattern matching, to be honest, came fairly naturally to me when I was introduced to Elixir, but I was also an experienced programmer. Um, So seeing new developers learn, it gives me an appreciation of the complexity there. The other thing is where do I pattern match? Like, why is it that I can pattern match on a parameter? Um, why can I pattern match in a case statement, but it doesn't really make sense to pattern match in a cond. Why, right? So in, there's the the ambiguity of where am I allowed to pattern match? Hmm. Um, so those are the two things that people have to learn with that. That can be a bit of a struggle. Um, and then things like atoms, I find people do struggle a bit with like keyword lists and atoms. Um, understanding like, why is it an atom when there's a colon after it? but normally I do an atom with it before it. Why? And so there's often some confusion there with just the small things. But other than that, I think the fundamentals, because it's a functional programming language and because it's very well thought out, are easier to pick up than many other languages and are very consistent. And that consistency helps people because they're not constantly feeling like, oh, like how is this going to work? It's consistent. It's reliable. You can count on it. OTP is where I notice a lot of students start to have their mental models break down because suddenly you have code that isn't connected, right? Functional programming is all about, I can follow my pipeline of data and see exactly where everything connects. But when you hit OTP, you have um, invisible code, right? You have callbacks that are being triggered under the hood and you're sending a process a message in that process is triggering one of the functions that you've defined. You define this handler and it's returning a response. It's returning a new state and understanding that flows quite hard because you don't see any of it. So we've uh, done things like we built our own gen server to uncover like what's really going on under the hood. Um, we've done a lot of work with uh, using IO inspects to label each step of the process. Uh, we've built a lot of gen servers from scratch. Like that was an area where lots and lots of students just struggled to see where the connections were because that's where a lot of things are defined under the hood for you. So as soon as you encounter things like macros, that's where it's not magic, but it's disconnected. So that's where a lot of people tend to struggle. 
And it's a totally different mental model than most programming paradigms ever really introduce you to. Cool. Yeah. So I guess a slightly different approach to that, that question, uh, that I, how I, how I see it, there's, uh, two things that I think can think of. Um, so one, one, one is, so the question is of how, you know, how, um, how complex it is or how are the options, um, so Elixir, if we're comparing Elixir to JavaScript, which is not fair to JavaScript, <laughs> but we'll do it anyway. Um, you know, in, in JavaScript, if there's something that you want, if there's a thing you want to do, there's like 15 libraries to do it. And most of them were pet projects that from six years ago that haven't been maintained and, you know, whatever. And so there's, there's, there's just a ton of things. And even among the kind of like, accepted by most people ways of doing things there's still like six different ways to do this thing six different huge major libraries to do this thing and so it's you you're you've got a, a lot to kind of work through um and and decide and, and figure out and then learn new on a new project because they're using this one whereas we we're using this one um elixir is a smaller community and therefore has fewer libraries which often i've actually seen that i've seen people say look at Elixir and say, well, there's not the, the number of packages that are out there is so small, this can't be a good language. Um, what I would say, but what's really going on there is that there's a few good, really good, well-maintained and well-handled uh, libraries to do what you want. And, and people will kind of gravitate towards those and they become kind of the standard that you use. Um, and that's not the case in all all of the different things you want to do, but but a lot of the things that you want to do, it's like yeah, ninety percent of the community uses this specific library, and that library is maintained and it's constantly getting updates, right? Um, and so so there's that. Um, the other kind of way of addressing that question, it, as far as you know, what do you need to learn? How you know how do how what I, uh, I believe that it was it was like you know what's the, the the anxiety about figuring out how to do things and how to do it right right like the, what's the right way to do it um one of the great one of is it a great one of the great things about elixir which may also be a it's a pro but maybe it's a con is i've seen i've seen which one is it like, <laughs> i i've seen terrible elixir code written that runs fine Huh. Because Elixir itself is so resilient uh, that, like, you know, it, you know, I've you know, I've I've jumped into projects with 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 engineers that didn't that that you know read it read a couple of blog posts on Elixir and then wrote a, a, a whole system and it's not idiomatic. It's not like there, it, there's so many better ways to do things and and clean whatever, but it runs and it runs better than you know, you, you would have in other, other languages, um, simply because Elixir is awesome and the beam is awesome. And so it's, uh, yeah, those, so those are, those are my two, my two answers to that question of, uh, of no, those are great answers because as somebody that's getting into it and not saying like, it's going to be like a new career path on the next five years or something, but you know, as we, as, as the marketing department of Dockyard and 
the educator of Dockyard Academy that, well, I guess you would be like the professor or what's above professor, uh, uh, damn it. Uh, anyway, yeah, 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 you know what I'm trying, trying to say. And then, you know, principal software engineer at Dockyard, like as we try to like grow this ecosystem, you know, collectively and while it might be a heavy lift, it might, it might blow up, you know, but we've added, you know, NX, Dockyard Academy, Live View Natives in the pipeline, um, Firefly, you know, for compiling the smaller devices. And as we grow the, uh, you know, cut uh, client services, you know, sector getting more projects this year, like it kind of all depends on popularity, ease of use, the health ecosystem. And I just think it's, it's cool to be a part, a part of something that's not in, in its infancy to say the least, but um, I know it's exciting for me as a marketer to be able to kind of position it and make some cool stuff around it. And, and this being one of the mediums that like we're growing to, yeah, there's other Elixir podcasts out there, but not, not many people are doing what Brian and Dockyard and, and we are doing as a, as a squad to, um, put all of our resources in free time. Right. You know, cause this is technically like a Dockyard day for you all to work in a library or, uh, you know, do what you wish in the ecosystem. So it'll be a lot of fun the next couple of months to really put Elixir out there as a uh, functional programming language for larger enterprise level companies. And on the last uh, round table, you know, Brian was just saying how that's kind of been not one of our strong suits is, you know, selling to larger enterprise companies um as as elixir as a ecosystem solution just because with the react framework you know still in javascript like it just had the notoriety of i guess meta facebook zuckerberg behind it but we got our own celebrities um to help pump it but like um it really is going to take a village and just cool to be a part of it and 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 I'm saying all that to like say this. Uh, what what would you guys? You know, we we started off kind of talking about burnout and like mental health and and how to deal with that. But what are some of the key benefits from switching? Uh, I forget whose Slack profile it is, but they call themselves a, a JavaScript refugee. And like my first week here, I just thought that was funny as hell. Just like, you know, cause like I dabbled in uh, React a little bit uh, as an agency owner, just cause it was a popular thing to, you know, build stuff in. Uh, once WordPress and PHP was kind of getting like, you know, like a Squarespace or whatever. And, um, you know, just talking about web websites and web, but um, what would be like one of the joys of being able to teach it and then, and then kind of go in and clean stuff up and rip out the guts of something like on a principal level type type deal. Uh, Cause I'm a positive input kind of person and not, not living the problem, but be a part of the solution. And I think in the world that we live in, everybody just kind of wants to 
commiserate in, in the problem. So whoever wants to take that one away. So let me make sure I understand the question. Um, to, to kind of boil it down to, to um, the base, uh, what are the benefits of transitioning into Elixir? Yeah. Yeah, like why would, you know, hey, I've been in PHP or uh, C Sharp, you know, something, something, I'm looking for a new life, a new career. Like what, um, mm-hmm. why would I join this next paid cohort? Why would I? do such and such like because because that's me personally like i I like Mm -hmm. i love marketing i love branding i love digital marketing all that but like that could all change you know i don't know i don't know i'm just saying Mm -hmm. like uh because i understand it but i'd have to like jump in two feet and and really um well i'd be very excited to have you as a student matthew um (laughs) i think (laughs) that's true it's it is actually like totally tangent it's very wild to me how many people are doing this that i don't know who are going self-paced man i would love to meet everyone who is doing docker at academy at their own pace some people send me messages maybe we start um, a slack channel on that or do we have that we don't have an open channel for people. We have the Docker Discord, which uh, you get to join if you become an official member. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to tangent us more though, because I really do want to answer your question. I'm um, good at tangent. I'm I'm just good at that. Sorry. <laughs> um, I think Mike's going to do a way better job of answering the technical side of this question. So I want to speak to the human side. Um, cool. I think that the Elixir community is very special. Um, it's one of the kindest communities I've ever encountered. Um, it really starts from the top. Like Jose Valim really is a phenomenal human being. Um, and so, you know, we don't have someone who screams and shouts at everyone for being an idiot. We have someone who, like I've watched Jose like help a brand new Elixir developer debug their system for like three hours uh, through, through online communication. Like that's, you wouldn't see that in another community, right? Um, so we just have a bunch of incredibly giving and supportive people. Um, we have, uh, uh, you know, the education space in Elixir, I think is phenomenal as well. Um, and, you know, we have lots of people willing to give their time. Uh, we have people like Jeffrey Mathias, who, uh, has like shared his information to just talk to people about testing. He answers some of my who's, questions from time to time. Jeffrey Mathias? Uh, he co-wrote testing Elixir, uh, hmm. with, I was mispronounced the name Andrea Leopardi. I hope that's how oh, you yeah. say the name. Um, but he co-wrote, uh, testing Elixir. Um, and I never forget the subtitle. So I just call that book testing Elixir. Um, or I never remember it rather. And you just have so many people who are very kind, very giving. Um, you know, it's a community that has a great deal of focus on testing, which is huge. That was honestly what drew me to it initially was I love testing. So having a community, you know, I think JavaScript has a bit of a duct tape community. Um, it doesn't think about testing as much. It thinks about like, how do we slap this together and be as productive as we can in the short term? Um, whereas Elixir seems to have this community of like, how do we build this right? We still want to be productive, but we also want to be productive five years from now, not, you know, get whatever we can done this weekend and then be half as productive the next week because now we have to work with the spaghetti. Um, so there's just a lot of care and attention put into, uh, the community and the ecosystem and the culture around it is phenomenal. So that's one of the benefits, but I'd love to hear what Mike thinks. 
Yeah. Uh, well, so first to, to, to your point, your point about the, the community, that's, it's huge. I remember when I was starting, I started in Watcher in 2014 and I remember being in the, in the IRC chat and Jose jumping in and answering a question. I'm like, this is, this is the guy that like wrote, wrote the language and was in, you know, answering some questions. I didn't know what I was doing. And, and to, to be clear, and this is, this is going back to my furthest or my previous statement about how I've jumped in and looked at code that's just absolutely terrible. That includes my own. Um, I have, I have, I have one, of, one of the first things I worked on was a, an open source project and the code's still out there. And looking back at that code, it's scary. Like it's not great. Um, so just, just saying that, putting that out there that, that, you know, it's, yeah, but again, it, it, it worked. It, 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 it was, uh, you know, it did what it needed to. Um, and I lost my train of thought. The 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 boil down question again, Brooklyn. What are the benefits of transitioning to Elixir? Uh, yes. And I really like your comment. Bad code doesn't mean bad developer. If I can just right. kind of jump on that, like yeah. uh, we all write horrible code. <laughs> Calling yeah. code horrible is not an insult to a developer. It's an acknowledgement of humanity. Right. Um, yeah. So. Um, what, why would, so why would we prefer Elixir over JavaScript? Uh, having written both, the, what I, one, one huge aspect of it for me is that when you're doing something in JavaScript, it almost always feels like the thing that you want to do, you have to hack together a solution that is just like, doesn't make sense. Reading it, you're going to be like, what, what is this? But it's the only way to get it to actually work is this weird, crazy, hack that you have to put together and then that becomes you know then someone decides to make it a library right and then now it's a library that you no one wants to go back and maintain because it's it's a terrible solution to the to whatever you know the thing is and i i really i don't it, it, i really get bothered by hacky solutions to get around something just to get it to work right like if 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 the language provides something there should be it when you use it in what would be a logical manner, it should work that way, right? JavaScript that like that's not the case um, too often. In Elixir, it's it's almost always the case that the way that like if you say you know what what's the simplest way to approach this, we'll do that and it'll just work, <laughs> like more way more often than than you would find in in JavaScript. And so for me, that's having the, the, the clean, elegant solution, the simple, clean, elegant solution be the one that works and is the best, you know, whereas in JavaScript, the clean, simple, elegant solution just doesn't work and you don't know, it, it doesn't make sense why it just, it's just, bro, you know, whatever. Um, or they just don't have the, they don't have the primitives to do the clean, simple, elegant solution. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's for me, that's why that's where Elixir just makes things. So, um, so when I go to edit this in post, I'm going to find that meme of like where the, the sink is all cobbled together and like yeah, barely yep. standing up. Yeah. And, exactly. and it's like, if your code works, don't touch it. And it's yeah. like, somebody touches it and it just like crumbles. Right. Uh, yep. yeah, I definitely got to find that. Um, yep. yeah, for sure. But no, that's super helpful. Uh, cause as a marketer for the company, 
these are all great tidbits and that's why I love being a part of uh, these when I can sit in on it. It just, it, it helps, you know, like watching them is one thing, but, but being a contributor, um, you know, and, and for all the listeners out there, this isn't a round table slash video podcast for, for just engineers and, and developers or software engineers that work, <clears throat> work on Elixir. Like if you're uh, curious about it, you know, these gentlemen here on the call, uh, you can find them anywhere on Twitter, what have you. I'll put their handles uh, in the info section on YouTube. But, you know, we're a very open company and all of our projects are open source and, and very easy to get a hold of. So I would encourage you to reach out. Don't reach out to me. I don't I don't know um, <laughs> Jack, Jack about it, but I'll point you in the right direction or hit us up on the uh, um, you know, contact us page. Um, but we do not do comments on YouTube for various reasons. However, we're, we're easy to find. And, um, you know, I just brought up the kind of versus conversation just because it, 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 I guess it's a lower, lower, that lower barrier to entry to talk about, you know, the differences between, some of the most like, you know, popular programming languages and then your frameworks. And, you know, we have, uh, Phoenix and, and stuff and such, but a lot of people just don't know about it. So mm -hmm. I have my work cut out for me to get in front of more people. Cause you all do do great work in, in Brooklyn. If you, you know, we're at about 40 ish minutes, but, um, you know, if you just want to talk a little bit more about, kind of what your like capstone ending projects are. I know you have a couple, but like another month left for Dockyard Academy. Mm, and then we're taking a, a break month and a half. Yeah. So about six weeks. Um, but you know, kind of how it's going to wrap up and mm -hmm. how people that are listening today can get interested in the next cohort that you're going to be starting up and maybe some tweaks or something to get excited about something like that. Definitely. Um, I also want to mention in terms of, uh, reasons to transition to Elixir, that's a really deep topic. Um, and I think there's way more we could, we could go into, but that'll be a different podcast. Um, yeah, we've we got, you know, we got plenty more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We didn't even, we haven't even covered things like fault tolerance and, um, you know, the scalability and, uh, the yeah, liability of do... it. Um, yeah, maybe we do like shorts on that, um, mm -hmm. you know, on specific shorter mm -hmm. topics and kind of like the group discussion. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to go into those things. But for anyone listening, I just want them to know that there's there's lots more there that we uh, could and should talk about at some point. Um, but we the capstone will. project, we definitely will. Um, the capstone project. So as part of doing Dockyard Academy, um, students complete a capstone project. It's one of their core requirements for graduation. And uh, they uh, have a few kind of minimum requirements that each project has to do. Uh, like it has to incorporate some kind of live view or and PubSub. It's, it's like a pick two out of three. So it has to incorporate live view or PubSub. It has to work with an Ecto database that has some kind of uh, associations with it, uh, or it has to work with an external API and process that data. Um, so students pick up two out of three of those requirements, or they can do more. 
And uh, it is beyond those completely up to the student to express their creativity, express their individuality, pick something that is meaningful to them or pick something that they find technically challenging and interesting. And so uh, funny enough, today actually is the day that we just did our um, uh, uh, guidelines and, and requirements for the students. So they have started uh, setting up their project planning. Um, and part of the benefit of the capstone is not just building it out, um, which obviously is a huge benefit, but also uh, we simulate some project management with it. So we get them to create a Kanban board through GitHub projects or whatever tool they prefer. Uh, and so that way they create all the different tickets, they prioritize Sweet. them uh, in terms of things like must have, nice to have, I'm oh, sorry, must have, want to have, nice, nice to have. So they can say, well, I have to have these features, that's my MVP. These are the things that would be priority. And these are the things that are kind of neat and cool and maybe I could uh, put them in there if there's time. And so that keeps their, their capstone nice and accomplishable, but something that they can grow and expand because, you know, scope creep is very real. And it's one of the more, yeah. more common things I see is students biting off more than they can chew and not realizing how hard it is to do things. Um, and so that is uh, designed to teach them about learning a, a, a project management and building it out on their own. And then uh, they also present it to the community. So May 6th, um, I have the time, I just don't have it in front of me. So we'll announce that at some point. Uh, but May 6th, there will be a public demo day where anyone can come in, see our students' projects. Uh, they'll present them to the community. There'll be um, an open forum where people can ask questions and, and kind of uh, pick the students' brains about their projects. Um, and so, yeah, that's what our, our capstone requirements are gonna be. And students are just beginning to put in some of the uh, brain work behind they're going to do it, but, but behind the um, project. Uh, oh, also, uh, we also have them create mocks um, or designs of their application. So they can do pen and paper, they can use something like Figma or whatever tool they prefer. So the goal is to teach them about UI UX and have them think about like, what is the best way to display your data? Because if you just build it and you build it through code and you design at the same time that you code, code's really expensive compared to drawing it out on a piece of paper. And <laughs> it's one of the most common things that developers do uh, wrong is like pure developers, not teams. Um, when we have solo projects is we often just build it without really thinking about the design and then realize, ooh, this is bad. Like this doesn't work. And we'll kind of tweak in the code. And we spend all this time designing in code, which is the most expensive way time-wise that you can do that. So it's meant to help them learn how to just design out their applications at a really simple level um, and do some of that brain work that tends to save the uh, amount of hours you spend on a project uh, very significantly. So that's also a fun thing they get to work on. And yeah, that's the, that's the summary. That's our capstone project. Yeah, that's, that's powerful. Uh, listen to the listeners out there. You're not only learning Elixir, but other, you know, full product delivery skills. Uh, that you can jump right into a entry level or junior level uh, job or, or or team or company and really fit in and hit your stride. That's that's super cool, man. Thanks for sharing that. And I'll definitely put the links to all that below. And and maybe we take some snippets from the capstone course and try to incorporate those in the future. But um, I think that. That was a good show today, gentlemen. Um, I don't have any more questions uh, or 
things to talk about. Marketing is boring. So this isn't a marketing <laughs> show. Um, but uh, yeah, awesome. Thanks for sharing those things, Mike at Brooklyn. And uh, do you guys have anything else? I uh, just want to mention uh, my email if people want to uh, reach out. Yeah. Um, so that'll be in the in the show notes, all the information to contact me. Um, I love it when people reach out with literally anything about Elixir. Like, I really do want to encourage people. Send me an Elixir question. Send me, you have a request about Docker Academy. You have a bug in your code and you can't figure it out. Like, um, seriously, completely open communication line. Uh, I think that's part of what makes the Elixir community very special is, you know, there is such an open communication to... Uh, everyone in the space. So um, please feel free to reach out. And uh, I hear the class bell ringing. So I do need to head off to class. Uh, but thank you for an excellent episode, gentlemen. And uh, for everyone else, we will see you on the next episode. Have a good one.